Well, it's time for the tactics meeting, a program where we talk about all things emergency response. I'm your host, Dan Smiley. Today, we'll be talking about the initial UC meeting with Cheryl Surface. So stick around, it's going to be great. Welcome to the Tactics Meeting. This is episode two of our series on the ICS planning cycle. And again today, we have Cheryl Surface with us, uh, renowned planning section chief, to take us through the initial UC meeting. Cheryl, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Dan. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to see you again talking about the initial UC meeting. So this is the last meeting in the reactive phase. After this, we go into the planning cycle of the planning P. Cheryl, what is the purpose of the initial unified command meeting? The initial unified command meeting um, provides the unified command members with an opportunity to discuss and concur on important issues prior to going through the planning cycle and the unified command objectives meeting. Um, the meeting should be brief. It only includes members of the unified command. Um, it's typically uh, run by uh, a member of the unified command um, so that the other sections can get organized. Um, it's specific only to unified command. Um, to discuss the important um, decisions and directions for the rest of the response. Can you give us an example of some of those decisions? I'm looking at the agenda right out of the Coast Guard's 2014 Incident Management Handbook, and it talks about identifying and including agencies and organizations that need to be represented in the, in the UC. How, how would I go about deciding who really needs to be part of the Unified Command? So if you're looking at your unified command and you have your federal on-scene coordinator and your state on-scene coordinator, your responsible party incident commander, those are the three typical of the triangle of unified command. But additionally, you may be looking for a tribal on-scene coordinator. You may be looking at a local on-scene coordinator. Um, there may be additional uh, organizations and agencies that need to be involved at the unified command level. So there are some key decisions that are intended to be made at, at this meeting. One of the first, and sometimes contentious, depending on which state you're in, is naming the incident. What is the official name? We've written something already on our 201, but now we're going to get something out that we're going to live with for the rest of the response. How do you recommend going about putting an official name on the incident? Um, some states have naming um, configurations that they like to utilize. Um, I like to name my incident geographically. Um, rather than including the name of the company or the vessel name, it, it may, um, it's better to use it as geographical name. And then I include, if you can, include the, the year. So that, for instance, you've got I was just on an incident in St. Simon's Sound. The vessel was the Golden Ray, 
but the response was not called the Golden Ray. The response was called St. Simon Sound Incident. Um, you wanna keep them fairly short because this um, name is gonna be on all documents you have. So if you have a name that's two miles long, um, it's not gonna fit in any of the boxes, number one, and um, it's gonna get shortened to, to acronym um, as you move forward. Right, well, sometimes you can't help what people call it. Deepwater Horizon wasn't officially called Deepwater Horizon. I think, if I recall correctly, it was MC-252 or Macondo MC-252, which dealt with the, the geographic region um, of the, the lease plot for the, for the response. But no one ever called it that. I think what people call the, the response and what's the official name don't have to be the same. But um, that official name is what's put on all the documentation. Another key decision is the operational period. I've never had any conflict with this since we tend to default, at least initially, to a 24-hour operational period. Sometimes you'll get members of the Unified Command who push for an initial 12-hour operational period. What are your thoughts on operational period, certainly in the beginning of the response? I would never go less than a 24-hour operational period simply because each operational period requires you to go around the planning process. And that's very cumbersome. So with a 24-hour operational period, you can have day and night shifts within that period. And remember, it's you can have different shift starting times. So people on the response who are on water may have a different shift start time than people who are working on beach cleanup. So your operational period can include many shifts, um, but keep your 24 hour, keep it to a 24 hour operational period. So you only have to go around the planning process once every 24 hours. The agenda for the initial Unified Command meeting talks about identifying key decisions. Can you give us an example of some key decisions the UC uh, might come up with during this meeting? The first key decision is, do we have all the members on the Unified Command that we need to have? So have we included tribal or local uh, partners in the Unified Command? The second one is, what are our UC jurisdictional boundaries or area of response? Um, it, what it, does that look like? Um, and identifying that, um, what's the name of the incident? What's the overall organization look like? So including integrating assistant agency partners. So did we invite other agency partners and integrate them into our unified, into our command structure? The location of the incident command post, is the current location of the incident command post gonna be adequate? Or do we need to look for a new location for an incident command post? The operational period. What's our operational period gonna look like? And then our command and general staff composition. Do we have the right people in the right positions, including deputies? And how do we integrate more agency partners into our organization for those roles and responsibilities? And then do we need to form a joint information center? And who should lead that joint information center? Who's gonna be the PIO leading that? Some states require them, their 
people to fill those positions. So for instance, in Washington, somebody from Department of Ecology fills those positions. Um, maybe in another state, it isn't, but you wanna have the best qualified. So even if a state required is, the requirement is for that state to hold that position, is that person the best required? Particularly in your public information officer and your liaison positions, you have to have somebody who has experience and is very strong and capable in those. Um, and then deputies too. Also, do you have the strong liaison officer that you need? So these things come out of this initial unified command meeting is looking at it from a higher perspective on do you have the most qualified people in the positions that you need and how can you integrate other agency partners into your response? Cheryl, since the planning section chief is not in the room for this meeting, what is the best practice for documenting these key decisions and communicating them out to the command post? The best practice for documenting what's occurring in the unified command initial meeting is to have and identify a document scribe for unified command specifically. So this individual would be with unified command throughout the course of the response and document all meetings, document uh, occurrences that are happening with unified command. Each unified command member needs to maintain their own unit log, their own individual unit log, but this scribe would be specific to meetings, phone conversations, et cetera, that are group in nature, and they can um, document that on an ICS 214 um, unit log as well. Um, they need to document the members who are in attendance and what has occurred at the meeting. Two pieces of information that I often actually send a runner out of the meeting for to the situation unit is the name of the incident, because I feel like it should get out there as fast as possible, and the agreed upon operational period. Can it wait till after the meeting? Should I send that runner? What do you think? You know, in an exercise, because of the compressed time frame, yes. Send the runner out in an exercise. But in a response, there's plenty of time. People have a lot going on in the initial response. So they're not as worried about getting the name of the incident or the operational period because that's clearly planning for the next 24 hours. So exercises with the compressed time, people get a little bit um, uncomfortable without having that information. Real response, no need to hurry a runner out. So Cheryl, do you have any final words of advice or tips or tricks that you can share for conducting this, this meeting as we get ready to move into the next operational period? Yeah, remember this initial unified command meeting is only for unified command members um, to discuss some key decisions that are listed in the agenda. And um, once that is accomplished, that completes the reactive phase of the response and it's preparing for the next phase of the response and the unified command objectives meeting. Um, so once this is done, you're out of the reactive phase and moving into your planning phase for the next operational period. Great. Well, Cheryl Surface, Planning Section Chief, thanks for taking the time to talk to us about the initial UC meeting. And we'll be coming back together again to talk about the objectives meeting sometime soon. Thanks again, Dan, for uh, letting me talk about uh, the planning peak. 
and I look forward to the next uh, podcast. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Tactics Meeting. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a topic that you'd like us to cover, feel free to email us. Our email address is podcast at the tactics meeting. 